I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome back to the Prospect Podcast, where we speak to the brightest minds and talk about the ideas that matter in politics, arts and society. I'm Sonia Soda, an Associate Editor at Prospect Magazine, and today I'm hosting a special episode on the local elections. I'm delighted to be joined by former President of YouGov and leading political analyst Peter Kellner. Thank you so much for joining us today, Peter. A pleasure, Sonia. Just before we kick off, we're recording at lunchtime on Friday, so we've had a swathe of results in from England, with more to come later in the day, but nothing yet from Scotland, Wales or Northern Ireland, so that's just so you're all clear about where we are when we're having this conversation. But I think actually what we've got in so far provides some important clues about the state of the parties, and that's what I'm going to be asking uh, Peter about now. So, Peter, I wonder if we could start off with Boris Johnson. How's he going to be feeling today? Is it is it as bad as he might have feared, do you think? I think Boris Johnson will be quite relieved uh, by these results. The Conservatives have lost seats. Pretty well everybody expected that. Uh, but they've not lost that many. It's two to three hundred, probably, when, when the uh, count is finally done, out of, what, four and a half thousand council seats being fought. There were uh, some predictions that the Conservative losses would be I know, 500 or, or more. A lot of that was um, expectations management ahead. I don't think the Tories ever really thought they would lose 500 seats. But two to 300, um, you know, Sonia, in mid-term mm-hmm. of a Tory government that's been in office for 12 years, mm. um, these are not bad results at all. The Conservatives had much worse results in midterms in the 1980s, for example, and still yes. went on to win the following election. Right, right. OK. And do you think that that these results show that Partygate, for example, has filtered through? Or do you think we might have expected, if voters were going in with that front of mind, we might have expected to see a worse set of results? Well, as these results are broadly consistent with recent opinion polls, I think we can look to the polls to answer your question. Here are two big facts about the polls of the last few weeks, which I say are borne out by the local elections. The first is that Boris Johnson himself is one of the most unpopular prime ministers of all time. Um, His current ratings are are ones that no past prime minister has recovered from and gone on to win the following election. The second big fact 
is that Labour's lead is in single figures. It's around six points according to the opinion polls. It'll probably end up when we get the projected national share for the local elections later today, maybe two, three, four percent. Uh, it's a small Labour lead. And these are midterm figures that Tory governments have always uh, won on the basis of these midterm results. So there's a contradiction between what the polls say about Boris Johnson and what the polls say about the party battle. Why is this contradiction? And my judgment is that it's because Labour is still not infusing um, uh, its potential voters, the voters it needs uh, to win. Um, mm -hmm. And that's why I think in these elections, um, while, John, while the Tories have lost votes and lost seats, uh, Boris Johnson will be relieved, and why Labour, though gaining seats, um, uh, will be disappointed. That's a good moment to talk about Labour. And um, we've seen sort of, you know, shadow cabinet ministers on the airways really celebrating the victories that we've seen, particularly the key ones in London, Westminster, Barnet, Wandsworth. You know, it's been Conservative uh, for over 40 years. Um, do you think they're putting a brave face on it then? And that really they're disappointed? Bluntly, uh, yes. Um, Wandsworth um, has been moving Labour's way for about 20 years. Um, it's a demographic change. In the general election, uh, just over two years ago, Putney, which is in Wandsworth, <clears throat> was the only Conservative seat in that general election that Labour gains. And that's because uh, <clears throat> London in general, and places like Wandsworth in particular, are becoming more progressive, more smaller liberal in their outlook, more young professionals, more pro-European, and therefore this right-wing um, pro-Brexit Tory party is one <clears throat> there's a lot of <clears throat> is one there's a lot of voters um, in places like Wandsworth um, don't like. You know, the, the, I, I was feeling quite sorry for the leader of the Wandsworth, uh, outgoing leader of the Wandsworth Council a few hours ago when he was saying, look, you know, we've got a very good record as a local council, we've actually cut council tax, we've frozen rents and so on, but we've been caught by these national trends, the national trends against Boris Johnson, but also in Wandsworth this demographic long-term trend against the Conservatives. And is that part of the realignment that we've been seeing and analysts have been talking about in recent years of a sort of new axis in British politics? That's absolutely uh, w what is happening. Um, that uh, it used to be said that voting in, in Britain was about class and pretty well that was it. Uh, and that was true when, you know, when I was growing up, what, 60 years ago. Um, um, it, it could be said that that is no longer the case. Um, what is the case is that um, if you look at the demographics of voting, um, it's, it's not social class that matters, it's age and education. Um, if you're a graduate under 30, you're very, very likely to be Labour or Lib Dem or Green. If you're a non-graduate um, in your 60s or 70s, you're pretty likely to be Conservative. It's this age and education um, pattern. And that's why in places like um, London, with a younger, more metropolitan, um, better educated uh, population in terms of as well as conventional classifications, they'd be moving Labour's way. And you look famously at the red wall towns, those towns in the Midlands and North, the towns, not the cities, because the cities have universities and the universities have students and they have graduates and they have young professionals. The cities are, are staying Labour, um, but it's the towns that 
don't have universities in the middle of the north, the ones that the Conservatives won, they're the ones with older populations, fewer graduates, and therefore more likely to be Tory and less likely to be Labour than 20, 30, 40 years ago. So let's talk about what's been going on in the Red Wall and the results we've had back so so far from those seats. Because it seems that it's quite patchy in the sense that Labour have made advances in Cumberland, winning um, the new council in Cumberland, uh, where there are three Conservative MPs, but then slipping backwards in places like Amberley and um, Hartlepool. What explains that? Um, well, first of all, there are always going to be local factors and local variations. Um, I'm not a, an expert on specific local councils to say why in one red wall town Labour's done better and another one is, is done worse. Mm-hmm. But what we do know from the data that's been collected and that John Curtis has analysed is that um, there's been a swing to Labour. Now, we're talking about compared with 2018, the last time these um, um, elections were, were fought. Um, the, there's been uh, about a 2.5% swing to Labour generally, but only a 1.5% in the Red Wall. And two things seem to be happening. One is the Conservative vote is holding up a bit better. But secondly, Labour, in as far as the, the Tories have lost votes, they've been going more to the Lib Dems and Greens than to Labour. And this is one of the... When, you, when, you know, when we get all the results in, when Labour strategists go through the fine detail, my guess is that what will worry them is that they're not winning back the you know, pro-Brexit old working-class mm-hmm. Labour vote, but they're losing in those seats that substantial minority who are more liberal, m- more uh, pro-European, more pro-immigration, and so on. Um, and and, and Labour's caught in the middle. They're not appealing sufficiently to either the traditional pro-Brexit um, Labour working class vote, nor are they appealing sufficiently to the younger, better educated, um, more liberal uh, voters. And of course, Labour needs to attract both. Um, At the moment, it's not doing sufficiently well with either. That's really interesting. It sort of challenges that narrative that um, sort of more affluent, progressive voters are in the bag for Labour. No, they're not. Look, um, in, in a general election, there will be tactical voting. There will be, I'm mm-hmm. sure, a fair number of people who voted Lib Dem or Green yesterday who will vote Labour in a general election because they live in a Labour Tory marginal. They hate the Tories and they realise that even if Labour doesn't inspire them, uh, Labour's the only way to defeat the Tories. Here's the problem. You know, people are on a continuum. And so it, they will get some, possibly quite a lot of tactical voting, but will they get enough? And I think the fear or the the fear that Labour should have is that a fair number of the anti-Tory people who are worried about climate change, who are strongly pro-European, will think, actually, Labour is not offering me enough Mm -hmm. to to make it worthwhile casting a tactical vote. And therefore, the Lib Dem and Green votes in these seats, the people that Labour need, enough of them will either stay at home or vote Lib Dem or vote Green and therefore deprive Labour of the votes it needs to win those seats. And and so you know, Labour will win a number of Tory seats, they will get a number of tactical votes, but will they get enough? That's what I'm not sure about. That's a really good point to talk about the Lib Dems and the Greens, actually, because I think if you look at the figures that have come in so far, 
they actually appear to be the real winners of yesterday, more so than Labour. I mean, you've got the Lib Dems who've already won more seats um, than Labour and, and Green. the Greens aren't too far behind. So what, what's going on there? What explains this sort of Lib Dem resurgence? I mean, I think, you know, three or four years ago, people were writing off the Lib Dems when it came to British politics. Um, so I'd put it like this. The, the two main opposition parties, Labour and the Lib Dems, they've had... That they've got a, they've got big hangovers. Uh, in, in Labour's case, it's one might call it long Corbyn. I like that. They're still are suffering from the, um, the the fact that not that mm. long ago uh, Corbyn was leader. That is clearly holding people back. And Keir Starmer has has made you know, a fair bit of progress, but not enough to get rid of that. Now the Lib Dems, because they have they have long Clegg, um, which is they they have a collapse, their support collapsed after they went into coalition uh, with the Conservatives with David Cameron, and of course famously had to had to abandon their pledge to um, to, to end stu- student tuition yeah. fees. Well, I think um, as it were, the Liberals at the moment, Lib Dems at the moment, are as a re- recovering from long Clegg better than Labour is recovering from long Corbyn. And is that just because? Clegg's a little bit more of a long-distant memory than Corbyn. That, that's right. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the problems uh, with the Lib Dems were 10 years ago, mm. um, and it's taken a decade. But I think you know, the Lib Dems, they're still not back to where they were in, the, you know, in these council elections. It, might, it looks to me as if they will end up with 18 to 20% of the share of the vote when we get the projected national figures. That's better than they've had in recent years, but it's not back to the sort of 25% they were typically getting um, in the 80s and, and, and 90s. There's some way to go, but I think they're on the way. Let me just say one thing, Sonia, because I think in looking further ahead, this is, um, I think, interesting. The Greens are clearly making progress. And I think the thing about Greens is they are becoming relevant, especially at, at local level. Um, you know, I think a lot of people liked the Greens 10, 15, 20 years ago, but they were so weak uh, at local as well as parliamentary level that they couldn't persuade people to vote for them. It's a wasted vote. Or now there's quite a lot of places where it's it's not a wasted vote. People are taking the Greens seriously. They're getting quite a lot of respect. Um, so, um, and again, how that plays out at the next general election. But over the next five or ten years, with the issue of climate change, I think becoming more and more important. You know, the, 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 the long-term consequences of the Green performance could be really quite significant. Mm, that's really interesting. And just coming back to Lib Dems for a moment, um, I think another reason that people sort of perhaps wrote them off um, more than they should have done, not it wasn't just Clegg, but it was also Brexit and the stance that the Lib Dems took on Brexit. And now we're seeing the Lib Dems do well in some quite Brexit-supporting areas, actually, despite the stance they were sort of taking back in, um, you know, 2017, 2018. What, what do you think explains that? What does it tell us about the salience of Brexit as an issue in, in how voters cast their votes at the moment? I, I think Brexit is less important to people, plainly less important to most people than it was. But again, I, I'm going to be quite boring and, and sort of number crunching here. We mm. say Brexit areas, implying that everybody in that area is for Brexit. But, you know, I was seeing, I think it was in, I saw a graphic, I think it was Worcester, one of those councils where the Lib Dems have done quite well, where it said it's a it's a Brexit area, and it said on the caption, you 57% voted for Brexit. Well, that means 43% voted remain. So it, it, it may be that the bulk of the rise in the Lib Dem vote 
is amongst the substantial minority of Remain voters um, mm -hmm. in those areas. Uh, and this also, I think, uh, frankly, has a lesson for Labour because um, in, in the great bulk of the red wall seats, you know, some of you 30 and 40, 45 percent were Remain voters. Mm. Um, so it's all very well for Labour to go after the Leave majority. But if as a result of going after the Leave majority, they alienate the substantial Remain minority and they go after the Lib Dems or Greens in the general election, then Labour's not gained anything. So just I, so one shouldn't have to create the impression that we've got bits of the country which are completely Leave and some which are completely Remain. Mm. Everywhere in the country is to some extent mixed. That's a really important point. And do we know yet, though, whether... Because, you know, Brexit's ha Brexit happened. Um, do we know yet whether people still feel strongly enough about Brexit that they think about it when they're voting? Um, or do people just regard it as done, the country's moved on, and they're willing to look at the political parties afresh? Right, well, we know a couple of things about people's attitudes to Brexit. I mean, the, the first is... Um, that the countries can split down the middle, so it would be a good idea to go back. I mean, more people now think it was, Brexit was a mistake than think it was a good idea, but amongst those who think it was a mistake, there's a fair number who say, yeah, but we've done it, let's not change everything uh, again. The second thing we know is that a clear majority of people think the government is screwing Brexit up. Um, so there is... A debate that will be held today and cannot be avoided in a, in a general election campaign is well, what do you do about this? Now, you know, you talk to people around um, Keir Starmer, and they basically don't want to talk about Brexit at all, because um, if you say to them, well, shouldn't you be campaigning to repair some of the mistakes that the Conservatives have made in the way they've done Brexit, with all the you know all the paperwork the, um, for, for for lorries, the, the queues at Dover, um, the, the, the decline in trade with with um, Europe, all that sort of all those things, and I've heard them say, yeah, but the trouble is if you if we say we're going to change the way we do Brexit to make it better, people will think that's we just want to reverse Brexit, and people will not vote for us if they think we're going to reverse Brexit. Um, now, you know, you can maybe get away with that now in mid-term, but I don't think that view will hold up in, you know, in a general election campaign. So Labour, I think, has to work out something substantive to say about Brexit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the polling I've seen suggests that there are a lot of people, I, you know, a majority who will be happy to have a closer relationship with Europe within Brexit, you know, something more like the old customs union, more like the old single market. Um, I think there is a strategy there that Labour could adopt um, without alienating those pro-Brexit red wall voters. Mm -hmm. And we've not had any results in yet from, um, really, from Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, what do you think are the things that people should be watching for there as results come in? Um, well, uh, Scotland, first of all, yeah. um, I, I think even the Tories I've been in Scotland, I've been here in the last few hours, realise they've gone into third place. The last uh, few years, it's the order in, in, SN, in Scotland has been first SNP, second Conservative, third Labour. Um, Labour's back in, in second place, still a long way behind the SNP. I think the most interesting... And do you think they'll be pleased with that? Well, I was going to say, um, Sonia, the thing that I think would really please Labour is that they retain, re recover top spot in Glasgow. 
Now, as you know, in Scotland, local elections are on a proportional system, and a proportional system means it's very, very hard for a big council like Glasgow to, for any party to have an outright uh, majority. Um, so the, it's been a, a sort of SNP minority council up to now. Can Labour win enough seats to come first and to regain practical control of um, Glasgow? So if Labour come second in Scotland and first in Glasgow, that will be a good result for Labour. Mm -hmm. If it's first in, um, if, if it's second in both Glasgow and, and Scotland, not so good. Mm -hmm. And how about I, Wales? I, um, well, Wales is, is, is slightly more um, um, complicated mm -hmm. because you, you not just Plaid Cymru, but you have, especially in Northern Wales, you have a lot, a lot of um, independence. Um, now, in the last few general elections, I, I don't mean to insult um, your Welsh listeners, but, but whereas Scottish politics, the electoral politics, has gone completely different from the rest of Britain, mm -hmm. Wales, more or less, certainly South Wales, where, where most Welsh voters live, South Wales behaves like a, an English region. You know, when the Tories do well in England, they tend to do better in Wales. When they're losing ground in, mm -hmm. in England, they lose ground in Wales. Uh, well, let us see um, if in the Labour heartlands um, they behave, um, if you like, more like London or, or more like um, the Midlands and North. In other words, is the, is the old working class, the solid traditional uh, Welsh working class, are they staying more loyal to Labour than the Midlands and North English uh, working class um, or, or not? That's what I'll be looking for. And as for Northern Ireland... I mean, we um, could do a whole podcast on that, couldn't we? Yeah. But what, what I was going to say is, in terms of numbers, um, what I've been looking at is, is that I think most people assume that Sinn Féin will come first. Not actually because Sinn Féin's vote has gone up. It may be down a bit, but because the, um, the DUP vote has, has gone down very sharply. Mm -hmm. um, but there's two linked things, I'd say, about Northern Ireland in terms of just the, the, the numbers. Um, the, the first is... How well will the Alliance Party do and any other, as it were, non-sectarian candidates? Um, because it could be that they pick up quite a lot of votes, especially uh, unionist votes. And this leads to the second point, which is I'd sort of assumed until recently that even though Sinn Féin um, might, would come top, there would still be more unionist um Council uh, Assembly members in Northern Ireland, you know, the DUP and, and the official unionists together would, would, would outnumber Sinn Féin and, and the SDLP. But it's, you know, it's quite possible now that there will be more nationalist Assembly members, Sinn Féin and SDLP, than unionists because of the, the drift of, if you like, the, the small L liberal Protestant vote towards the alliance. Um, so, you know, the big politics of the future of the Assembly and the First Minister and so on, I leave for others who are better uh, informed. But there'll be some quite interesting things going on in the numbers there. Mm -hmm. Definitely something for listeners to look out for, I think. Um, just before we wrap up, I'd like to take a step back and kind of think about, ask you to sort of explain what you think the implications of yesterday's results are going to be for us politically. In particular, I guess, Boris Johnson, he's in quite a lot of trouble at the moment, um, some might say, uh, given all the Partygate scandals, etc. 
So I wonder whether you think these results are worrying enough to Conservative MPs for them to um, think that there is something, you know, they need to get rid of him before the next election. And then secondly, Keir Starmer, he's also um, sort of been subject to quite a lot of critique, um, particularly in the last month or so, I think, in the way that he's responded to Beergate. You know, does he have the communication skills that that a a Labour leader needs to get elected as prime minister um what do you think this what do you think the implications of this will be for the for the labor party and 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 labor politics um okay um let's deal with with boris johnson first as i said at the beginning i think he'll be relieved by these results Mm -hmm. if there were conservative mps with their pen hovering over their letter uh to say we, we we want to the vote on his leadership. If they were waiting for the local elections, I think they'll have put the pen down. I don't think they'll have signed the letter. But that's only part of it. Um, you know, I think Boris Johnson's. I, I think of Boris Johnson's leadership in the Conservative Party like an aircraft wing with metal fatigue. You know, you know, if nothing's done, at some point the wing will drop off, but you can't tell when. Um, and at the moment, I would, I would be surprised frankly if Boris Johnson is their party leader at the next election he might be I think but I don't know when uh, I think to compare with 24 hours ago it's a bit less likely than we perhaps thought that it'll happen you know next week or or, or the week mm-hmm. after but mm-hmm. the Tory party it is, a, is, a, is a strange beast and I I say that um you know without any huge um confidence but looking at Keir Starmer looking at the big party race now Here's the, I think here's the big macro question Mm. for the next couple of years is that will normally, when I say normally, um, pretty well every time uh, you have had a a full four or five year parliament, um, the government has had a dip in fortunes in the middle of the parliament and then has recovered, usually a fair, Mm -hmm. recovered a fair amount in the final two years. If that happens again, then on these figures, the Tories will win the next election. Mm. You know, uh, if you just translate crudely and mechanically yesterday's yeah. votes into parliamentary seats, you've probably got Labour and Tory both pretty well level pegging somewhere between 260 and 290 in, in a new parliament. It'd be a hung parliament. Can't be sure who'd be on top. And so any form of Conservative recovery gets them um, into um, an outright majority and Labour mm-hmm. back in defeat. But, and here's the thing I'm really not at all sure about, will that past pattern hold? Mm-hmm. Um, because as I said earlier, Boris Johnson himself is incredibly unpopular. Yeah. This midterm, you know, I've been around reporting on polls and the elections for you know, a great many of these midterms. This one feels different to me. Just. I, I, it's, I can't point to you know, mm-hmm. huge numbers of figures. It just feels different. Um, and if what you've got is a very unpopular government uh, with more problems coming ahead, you know, what the Bank of England said yesterday about inflation and about the possible recession. Mm-hmm. And if it's the case that, as it were, Labour is still suffering from long Corbyn and that Keir Starmer has the ability to overcome that Mm-hmm. between now and the next election, it may be that we won't see a Conservative recovery or not a significant mm-hmm. one between now and the next election. 
And my final point, Sonia, on this is to remember the following, um, that the Conservatives could, uh, at the next election, they could be the la largest party and still be thrown out of government mm -hmm. because there's nobody <clears throat> except you know, a handful of DUP members of parliament who will uphold a Conservative government. Mm. They have got to get... You definitely couldn't see the Lib Dems doing it again. No, no, that's right. So so the Tories need 310, 315 seats to have any chance of staying in, in office. Let's just, as a for instance, let's imagine you've got 300 Tory MPs and 260 Labour MPs. Mm -hmm. That's not a prediction, it's an illustration. Are you fairly comfortable Tory leading seats? Keir Starmer would become Prime Minister mm -hmm. because... Um, the, the Lib Dems and SNP, at least for a while, mm -hmm. would make sure he's prime minister. They would they would prevent the Tories carrying mm -hmm. on. So, um, you know, if Labour is looking to win the next section outright, they'll be devastated by yesterday's results because they're nowhere near good mm -hmm. enough. But if you're looking at what does Labour need at a minimum to get the, the Tories out and Keir Starmer into number 10, and if I'm right that this midterm is a bit different, mm -hmm. then maybe we'll look back on, on yesterday's vote and yeah. say this was a stepping stone towards a change of government. Yes, very interesting. I think if I was a Labour MP, there'd be two things uh, keeping me awake at night. One would be, I think, if you want to, if you want a stable government that has the time to impose or to introduce real change to a country, you need the sort of majority that's going to give you government, you know, majority government for two years, really. It's kind of quite hard to see how a uh, minority administration supported by the SNP and the Liberal Democrats could could sort of deliver everything necessarily that a, a Labour Party would want to do. And then I think the second thing that would keep me awake about yesterday's results is that it feels quite different and, and maybe this is just a different way of, of stating what you stated kind of mechanically about what we know to be true about midterms but it feels quite different for people to vote for an opposition party midterm as a way of delivering a kicking to an unpopular government mm -hmm. to voting uh, for an opposition party to be in government at general election time those two those two do feel a bit like materially different things yeah, no, that, that's absolutely right. And, and this is why I think you know, it's, uh, the next couple of years are, 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 are going to be fascinating. But, yeah. you know, I, 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 I would, frankly, I'd be astonished if Labour wins an outright majority in the next election. It may be we're looking like the riot of 1964 and then 1974, both times when Labour came to government from opposition. But in 64, with a, a tiny overall majority, mm -hmm. and in 74, at the head of a minority government. And there was a second election. In, in 64, it was 18 months later. In, in 74, it was eight months um, later. And both times, Labour improved their position in, in 66 a lot. In 74, just about enough. Yeah. So in real terms, I think Labour's best chance of ending up with a secure majority is it happening over two elections, perhaps really only a year or two apart? Very, very interesting. I'm afraid that's all we've got time for. But thank you so much, Peter, for joining us. I found that conversation really fascinating. I'm sure our listeners will do too. If you enjoyed the podcast, do escape the echo chamber and grab a copy of Prospect Magazine from newsstands now or go to subscription.prospectmagazine.co.uk to subscribe. In the current issue, we've got some great pieces from Samuel Moyne, Basma Kodmani and Carol Kudwalada. That's all from us. Goodbye and listen out for the next episode of the Prospect Podcast next Wednesday.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.